Hello, everybody. Welcome to this week's episode of the Tabletop for Two podcast. I'm Brad Van Vutt. I'm Emily Van Vutt. And uh, we are back again. Uh, this week's going to be a fun week. We're going to, later in the show, we're talking about area control and area majority for two players, a mechanic that uh, is a mix, bit of a mixed bag with uh, with uh, that low of a player count. But um, we also have a couple impressions of some new games, including one that, we are, that I'm particularly excited about, at least. <laughs> Um, so we'll be talking about that a little bit. Wait, that could be several. Which one? Uh, you know which one I'm talking about. I'm sure listeners do, too, if they've been paying attention to the show for the past couple of weeks. So, uh, so, But real quick, before we get into that, um, just a reminder of where you can find us online. So Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You can chat with us. Uh, search for at Tabletop for Two on each of those. Uh, we'd appreciate it if you would hit subscribe to the show. Uh, you can do that in iTunes, Google Play Music, or any podcatcher that you choose. And if you use iTunes, um, if you could leave us a five-star review, that would be awesome. It helps get the podcast a little bit more visible and helps us attract listeners, uh, which we really appreciate. And, of course, if you are on BGG, uh, we have a guild on there as well, guild number 2623. Swing by there as well, um, and that has like news for the show and things of that nature as well. So Feast for Odin, we finally, uh, it came in. Shipped uh, from Cardhouse this weekend, which we ordered it from. Uh, we got it on Saturday. Of course, I busted it out, punched everything, and uh, we're ready to rock and roll with that. And we had it have it at the table on Sunday. Uh, so this is the new Uwe Rosenberg game. Um, we've been talking about it, like I said, a little bit over the past couple of weeks. Uh, it's pretty standard Rosenberg fare. It's, it's his typical form of worker placement where you have a ton of different action spaces available to you. And uh, the actions all do various things, but really you're just taking uh, resources and goods that you get and converting them to other resources and goods. But the thing that you're trying to do with these goods is you're trying to cover up this um, this grid that you have on a player board uh, for different purposes. Uh, you can use that to get more income. Uh, you can use it to get bonuses of different goods at the end of each round. Um, but you can also, the main crux of it is to cover up these negative point spaces that are littered all over the board as well, because at the end of the game, of course, any of those spaces that are exposed um, are going to be worth negative victory points for you, which you definitely don't want. Um, lots of other stuff to do in the game as well, where you can explore um, other areas, which of course lends more boards and more points, but also more spaces that you have to cover. Um, you can get different houses to store your goods, things of that nature as well. Um, get ships and then emigrate with your Vikings. Um, which helps cut down on your food costs at the end of the round. Of course, being a Rosenberg game, you do have to feed your uh, your people at the end of the round. Um, and you go through a number of rounds, and whoever's the most points when all is said and done wins the game. So uh, what were your thoughts on A Feast for Odin? Uh, I liked it a lot. Yeah. Um, I think you and I were talking earlier um, comparing it with like Fields of Arl. Mm-hmm. And I felt like this one was a little easier to kind of grasp the first playthrough that's i would agree with that for sure and i think part of the reason why that is is because this game has those um like the the big variable in the game is that you have these occupation cards which are these little bonus cards that you Mm -hmm. get and there's there's hundreds of them in the game so like you're never gonna probably run into the same ones in the same combination over the course of a game that that you can kind of use that as a guide point especially early on to kind of steer the strategy that you take, whereas mm-hmm. in Arl, it's literally just, here's everything, you figure out what you want to do. Right, and like I said, that one seemed a little more daunting to me. Mm-hmm. Um, this one, 
it did kind of melt my brain a little bit when I'm first looking at everything when it got set up. But once we started playing, it kind of just flowed really well. Mm-hmm. It was super easy to learn the iconography and everything. So yeah, well, very yeah. very well graphically designed game for mm-hmm. sure. Like everything was like within you know by the end of the first round, it's really easy to understand what all the symbol symbols and stuff like that mean. Mm-hmm. And and I just had I just had fun while playing it. It was a great little brain teaser um, mm-hmm. trying to figure out the most efficient way to get resources, trying to figure out the most efficient way to cover up, you know, the different spaces on your oh, board. You know how I am with that. I'm nothing if not a perfectionist. Yeah, trying to make sure that every space gets covered, <laughs> kind of, you know, picking and choosing the right times to explore, to get new boards, which, you know, comes with its own risk and reward as well, that you have to be careful that you don't go a little overboard with that. Um, I also love the the worker placement mechanic in the game. So basically each of the action spaces are in four separate columns and in each column it's a varying number of workers that you have to place in order to take that action. So you can do a bunch of small actions and and you can do a lot of those actions in a round or you can do some of the larger actions which usually have huge oh, yeah. benefits but at the cost of being able to do less things over the course of the I round. don't know that second to last round when I said I go big or go home on that one it kind of helped me out a lot and set me up well for the last round yeah no it definitely did I mean it, like you, you picked up a uh, like a storehouse which you really hadn't picked up any extra boards mm-hmm. throughout the entire game but in the last round you picked up picked up an extra board and completely filled it in before the game because uh, I'm the game ended. awesome <laughs> and I'm a planner and you know this but it's like, like you said with in, in comparing it to fields of Arl because that's really the closest comparison i think of of his games um it really wasn't that daunting even though you have this complete swath of actions that's available to you from the beginning of the game because it's pretty clear you know what you should be doing and and i love the fact there's lots of different paths to to doing stuff like you can you know you can do like a financial strategy where you get just a ton of silver and then just use that silver to buy some of the best treasures that you can get that are, you know, the big pieces that fill up the most space on your board. Or you can, you know, I, I enjoyed the pillaging. Yeah, you can be, <laughs> you can go full Viking and pillage stuff. You know, you can go hunting to get smaller resources and then convert them to more valuable ones. Um, yeah, just, just a really, really exciting game. Um, also for a game as thick as it is, um, we, you know, the first game we played it in two hours, I would, you know, obviously expect that to get down to, a lower play time, so once we get more experience, so this is right. One, I think next time we can definitely chop off at least fifteen to twenty minutes, mm-hmm. if not more. Yeah. So, but point being is that this is one that you know we could conceivably play more frequently. It's one that'll fit right, onto exactly. a regular game night. We don't have the budget, you know, a huge amount of time mm-hmm. in order to play it. So, yeah, I I, I thought it was terrific. Um, obviously, this game has a lot of buzz around it, a lot of hype around it. Um, and again, we've only played it one time, but you know that, that first time was very enjoyable um, and one that I'm really looking forward to getting to the table again. Mm-hmm. So they, uh, Fe- Feast for Odin, um, if you're a fan of, of Rosenberg's games, it's, it's kind of a no-brainer. Um, and also, if you've been kind of scared off by his games, I would still encourage to check it out because it's not, even though it looks daunting and it takes up your whole table, it's not quite as intimidating it's really really not like you said once we got it laid out on the table Mm -hmm. and i gave it a look see i i could figure out most things on the board myself what it was i just had a few questions Mm -hmm. but everything was very well done very self-explanatory yep yep oh next on the list (laughs) 
It's one that Brad was really excited about, but not me so much, and that's Cry Havoc. Mm-hmm. This is this is the new one from Portal Games. Um, this is actually what kind of spurred me to talk about area control in general this week, um, in a broader sense. But oh, quick side note. Hmm. So remember I made the comment last night about how my faction, I don't think it was a good one to learn with. Yeah. And I said something about the Atlanteans. Totally didn't realize it was made by the same oh, people. Yeah, the same, same company. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so um so Cry Havoc is a is an area control game. That's that's the that's what it is at its core. Uh, where you have this planet that uh three different factions are trying to vie for control of resources over. Uh, and in the meantime, there's also an indigenous species on the planet that's going to be trying to resist you as well. Um, where this game kind of is cool is it's, it's sort of got some quasi-deck building elements as well because you have a deck of action cards. I think that was part of my problem, too. I wasn't getting enough cards. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's and, and you have these action cards that you start with and you can acquire more during the game that determine... The different types of actions you could do, and, th- and those are pretty standard fare where you can, you know, move your troops around, you can get more troops to put out there. You can build stuff. Yeah, you have structures that are unique to your faction that you can check out as well. Um, and you're doing it to, with the, you know, purpose of taking over these territories because as you branch out and, you know, move your people around these territories, they are going to earn they're going to accumulate these crystals that are kind of locked to the territory. And the crystals are your primary method of victory points because, and one of the other neat things I like about this game is that scoring is actually an effect that can be triggered by the individual players. It's, it's actually up to the players to decide when scoring happens. And when you do score, you're going to get points based on how valuable each of these territories you control is. Um, but obviously you're not just going to waltz in and take these territories. You're going to have to battle for them. Um, when you do basically run into a territory that has another faction sitting on it, at the end of the action phase is where all these battles get resolved. And this is kind of a neat mechanic as well, where each side takes basically all of their figures and they distribute them on this objective track, basically, where there's three different objectives. The first one is you are vying for control of the territory. The second one is you're trying to you know, take prisoner one of the other faction's pieces, And the third territory is just where you can kill members of that faction as well. And essentially whoever has, like for the top, for the control area, whoever has the most units in that area is going to win control of the hex no matter what else happens with the rest of the battle. And if you have more on the second area, then you'll get to take one of your opponent's prisoners, which is helpful because not only does that get you victory points every round, but if they want to get them back out of jail, they have to spend victory points themselves in order to get them out of Hawk. Um, and then the last thing you can do is you can just annihilate characters, which is also helpful for controlling the masses as well. And then once that's all, and before these is all resolved, you have tactics cards that are that double, the action cards in your hands doubles these tactics cards that you can play to kind of swing the tide of battle in your favor. So I thought that was really clever as well. Um, game plays pretty smoothly, pretty quick. Um, yeah, we played in about an hour, didn't yeah, we? Yeah, there's not a lot of uh, not a lot of downtime in the game. Not a lot of and, well, and, not with two anyway. I imagine right. a higher player can you'll have at least a little bit of downtime. Well, and and what I appreciated about this game spe- uh, specifically is that typically games like this, these skirmish style games, um, have a lot of fiddly bits and have a lot of die rolling and comparing results and stuff like that. There were no dice. There were no dice in this game at all. I didn't it's realize that. Yeah, it's completely there were no dice at all. Right, and that and and I said to you, hey, what's this game? missing that you know games like this have and it's it's that a lot of that randomness you know that you know, those die rolls that sort of thing which i thought was kind of cool because it really lets you 
form you're, your you're strategy. You're kind of in control of your own fate in that right. case. Um, the three factions also play extremely differently. We oh, only cool. used two of them um, last night. But I our, don't think mine was a real good one to learn with. Yeah, Emily I had the Pilgrim faction, which yeah. is just like a resource-gathering faction. They're, they're don't very, fight well. Well, and so I didn't really know much about any of the factions. I kind of just picked one at random and mm. said, hey, I'm just going to roll with this. Yeah, it was not so good for me. Yeah, and... and Though, like I said, I don't think I've used them to their fullest potential, but I also couldn't get an engine going to use them to their potential either. Yeah. So that didn't help me and drew me any favors. Yeah, so like I said, I, obviously I enjoyed it quite a bit. I know you were a little bit more on the fence last night than I was. Yeah. But why? I, mean, I don't know. I just... Yeah, state your case. <laughs> <laughs> what am I on trial yeah. here? Golly days. I, I'm just, you know, I'm not too big on... I I don't know. I'm not I'm not good with the with the skirmishes. I guess I don't know. I've I haven't done. I'm not particularly done well in any of them that we've had. I don't believe. Mm-hmm. And it's just it's really frustrating for me because I feel like I when I I feel like I'm a failure when I can't do something like mm. and I feel like I can't do it and I try and I try and formulate and I just like every all my best laid plans just kind of go awry and it kind of really really frustrates me to the point where I'm just like I'm not having fun. Well, see my my theory was and, and like I said I, I I think the faction that you picked was not. No, I don't think faction. they were the best to learn with. And then the other, not issue the game has, but just one of the things to know about the game is that it doesn't really have any kind of catch-up mechanic in a lot of ways. Like, there's really no way, like, if you get Well, once I got dust, behind on points, that was it. Well, I significantly mean, behind. It was yeah. tough. It was really tough for you I mean, to, I did bounce back pretty well towards the end, but, I mean, by that point, it was too little, too late. Yeah, it's so I, I think you have to know that going in is that it is a very skill-driven game, which I know a lot of people are going to like, and there's, like, you know, like we said, a lot of games that are kind of in this genre don't, you know, they rely on a lot more randomness. So in this game, you know, if you like that strategy and being able to well, say like it Well, like I off, said, you also, growing up, probably played a lot more games like that than I did. I'm, you know... Mm, not particularly. It's just, like I said, I, I just, I kind of, I grasped, you know, I understood really what the aim of like the human faction was they're they're you know trying to spread out you know control territories that they don't actually occupy which is you know a good way for them to get points um so i and i you know embraced that and started to really do that and that's and that helped me get a big lead at some point during the game um i also like that in this game the there's like this you know neutral opposition when you're playing with two or three players when you play four players someone actually plays as the trogs which are the indigenous species but in two and three players the they're so ugly they're yeah, cute they're just kind of there but the other players um actually make decisions for them in battles and stuff like that which i also appreciate as well and you can even spend your tactics cards to aid them in battle as well but that's you know that means you don't get to use them either now let me be clear i did not like hate it or oh, anything no, I, don't, I didn't think you did i just i know we're gonna play i didn't it again. have as much fun as I hoped I would have. Mm. But then again, this was one of those ones a couple shows ago when we did our list that I told you I was on the fence about. Mm. Because, well, frankly, we have a bunch of area control games and things of that nature. And there's ones that we have that I like quite a bit more. Mm. And I was afraid that this would not be a good one for me. Okay. Well, that, you know. Well, I mean, I've, I know we're going to play it again. So we'll have to reserve 
full judgment, I guess, till that happens. Right. But yeah, Cry Havoc, like I said, I liked it. Emily was more on the fence. Now and, the next one on the list yeah, we'll I liked a lot. A later. Well, you can, you can go ahead and get into that. <laughs> um, the next on our list, we finally busted out Above and Below. Um, this was actually one that I asked Brad to get because um, after reading up on it and watching some videos, it just kind of seemed right up my alley, at mm. least. Um, and I, I love the ones because how many of these have we tried now? Who of Ryan Lockett's games? No, 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 no. Of like the games where we have the oh, like the like storytelling. I, I call like them the choose your own adventure games. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess I mean Agents of Smirch definitely falls in that line. Um, I, you can kind of sort of say Elder Tar in some ways is like that. That's as what well. it, is. it feels like a choose your own adventure book right. to me. Right, so and I love it. Well, but this one actually combines that with much more of a traditional like Euro game because it's it's essentially a worker placement game of sorts because you have villagers that you're sending to do specific actions and the storytelling part of it albeit you know it's a big part of the game but it's it's only a part of the game because you can also you know get these different buildings that give you special abilities and earn you victory points and you know you're also trying mm-hmm. to you know manage some resources and and it's all in the goal of earning points at the end of the game it's that, and it's it's interesting because like I said agents of smirch the story is the game. Like, that's the thing that right. drives the game forward. This one, it's just kind of like a fun little aside when you go on a thing. It's like, oh, hey, to go further down the rabbit hole, choose this. Or to be a jerk about it, choose this. You know? Well, and, and what's, <laughs> great. What it's, what's it. interesting about it, though, is that it is essentially, and I, I mean, I guess this the same claim can be made about a game like Agents of Smirsh or Tales of the Arabian Nights as well, is that the story, you could theoretically cut out the story and say, you know, make a choice. You can either get, you know, try to roll a die to get this, or you can roll a die to get this item and completely cut out the actual narrative part of it. But the narrative is what gives it its flavor and its little, you know. No, it it, it does. It gives it its personality. No, it, it absolutely does. Um, I, I, I guess what I'm trying to say is in Above and Below, I just feel like more so than in other games like this, that part is just window dressing. I can agree with that. You know what I mean? Where it's just, and and I, don't get me wrong, I appreciate that it's there because it definitely takes it from being a game that is just kind of a you know very I don't want to say generic, but a very a game that you know kind of exists already and gives it some flavor and gives it some some flair to go with it as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I liked it. Um, it certainly. I liked it because. Every other game like this that we've played seems like it takes way, way too long. Mm-hmm. This one played in, what, like 45 minutes? Right. To and, an hour. Well, and also it's a competitive game, too. Most of the other games that we right. well, we coop- played they're cooperative. are cooperative. Um, so kind of jockeying against one another in that regard um, is kind of cool. Now, it because of the story and because of how the narrative has to twist and turn, it can suffer the same shortfalls that games like this can suffer as well where if you make a bad decision or if you roll the dice poorly when well, you're doing your the skill check that you might just kind of get boned in the end which is not really what you want to do um but like i said I, I i enjoyed the game um and it didn't overstay its welcome either like it, it definitely i think i think it hit like a really good mm-hmm. it hit a good time yeah. yeah, and and like I said, the, there there's not like this does not have as many encounters as something like a Tales of the Arabian Nights would, but I think there is enough in there to keep the game from feeling super samey as you go along, and there is some different strategies to explore. Plus, there's a lot of different buildings that'll pop out each game and mm-hmm. things of that nature as well. So I liked it. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll be interested to see 
the new game that he's doing that's kind of like a pseudo sequel to this called Near and Far. Um, <laughs> and if what that does to change the formula anyway, it already came and went on Kickstarter, so we'll have to wait until it actually releases okay. um, before we look into that. But yeah, I, I liked Above and Below. Um, certainly it'll hit the table more often than an Agents of Smirsh will. Right. Um, and it was fun. Like I, I liked it a lot, um, and it was it was a good time for sure. Um, the next one is one that I was particularly excited about coming out of uh, coming out of Gen Con, and that was Fight for Olympus. This is the two-player game, I believe from Mayfair, if I'm not mistaken, where you are trying to manipulate the these different figures from ancient Greece um, in a manner to try to dominate certain areas of this long board that sits between the two of you. Um, the board has three different areas. There is Mount Olympus. There is another area, which names I don't, and the other two areas I don't remember. But basically, when you lay cards out on the table, when you play characters out, um, you're going to be playing them to one of these three different regions. Mount Olympus has three different sections. Um, the middle area has two, and the bottom area has one. Um, and then each turn, you're going to battle with these characters as well. Now, if your opponent has a figure or has one has a character card opposing your character. Um, then you will do damage to that character. And if you do enough damage that equal their health, then you'll actually eliminate them from the other side. Um, but if you're unopposed, then you actually get a bonus of some kind. So for the Mount Olympus, if you're unopposed, you get a victory point. Uh, the victory point track is this tug-of-war track. Um, if any player ever gets the seven points, then they win the game automatically. Uh, the middle two spaces give you these um, purchase tokens, and the bottom space lets you draw cards into your hands. Um, and this is important because the basically the way that you play cards, the way that you pay for them, is you have to discard cards that match colors that the mm-hmm. card cost is asking for. Um, and the, having the purchase tokens keeps you from having to discard other cards. You also have some wild cards as well, which are usually your more powerful characters, but they can be discarded um, to represent any color. And it's an interesting little back-and-forth game that takes about you know, 25, 30 minutes to play. And uh, and I really like this one a lot. It was a lot of fun. I know the, the, the first game we played, I Oh, my God, you. I got steamrolled. Yeah. I... Because I don't think you really knew what you I were don't, doing. I didn't know what the H-E double hockey sticks I was doing, first of all. Mm-hmm. And secondly, I don't know where my head was. Because, like, I must have had it squarely up my hind end because I was just not paying attention, not making anything easier on myself. Well, and this is what, and we talked about Fleet on our last episode. And this is one of those other games where since your cards are your currency as well. It makes it real tough. You have tough. to really make pick and choose, and mm-hmm. you can't just throw your whole hand out because you don't draw back as quick no, as not you can at spend all. them. Um, you know, unlike a San Juan where you're drawing tons of cards Well, and see, that's the other thing, too, is, like, I was trying to be good about, you know, spending my cards and putting these out, but it seemed like every time I turned around, you were thwarting me mm-hmm. and my efforts. Well, and, and, this is, and this is very much like a pick-your-battle kind of game because it's not... It's very hard to stop your opponent from doing stuff on all fronts, so you kind of have to pick and choose, all right, I'll let him have this victory point here, but that's because I can get these purchase tokens, which will let me get more cards out, stuff like that. You also win instantly if you have, at the start of your turn, all of your characters are lined up. on Basically, all of the slots on your side of the board are filled as well, so if you let your opponent build up their forces too much... Um, you can do that as well. This was a very neat game. Um, I, I liked it quite a bit. Mm-hmm. 
It reminded me a little bit of Arena, which we did not like very much from Stefan Feld. That's the one where you had the characters that you lined I up remember. and you rolled the dice. Yeah, and then and that's how you had, you had to activate them. But I think it's more like um oh. You said it, you, you you said it reminded you of Battleline. Yes. And I could kind of sort of see those comparisons mm-hmm. as well. Um but yeah, very very cool game. Um what were your thoughts on it? Especially Battle, especially Battle in the line. second game where you're much more competitive. And what was the other one we played? Was it Seventh Hero was the other one we played? No, Seventh Hero is a very different type of thing. I'm trying to think. I'm trying to think of these card games that we played here lately. I don't know. Like I said, we played <laughs> we played the first game, I got my butt kicked. Uh he's like, You wanna play again? I'm like, I have to. I gotta redeem myself. Mm-hmm. Um the second time around, I feel like I kind of grasped it a little better and i did i did way better i you know i don't think did i win i can't remember if i, did I think you might have still lost but you but you at least took it, it to the very i end made of the it game. closer yeah, you t- this you, time you forced you forced us to it, go through i, the I could actually show my face after this one <laughs> i didn't have to go like you know stick my head in the sand because i was so embarrassed um but yeah it was really it was a lot of fun um like you said when you said arena i was like oh god don't say that because i didn't like that game mm-hmm. at all but I can see where you where yeah. you know where I can where you see that. But uh, yeah, really a lot of fun. I said hard some hard decisions to make because I'm like, oh, this card would be great. I'm like, oh, but I don't want to give up this and this to well, put and they, it out and they, there. And, well, and they do a nice job balancing it because, like I said, the, those super powerful characters are really tough to get out because they have super they have really high costs, and usually you end up just using them for wild cards. To, oh, absolutely. To buy other I, don't, cards I don't think I put one of those people out. In either of the games, right? But they but they have the potential to be world beaters if you can get them out on the board. So it's a it's a nice you know give uh-huh. and take balance there. Yeah, I think the, I think Fight for Olympus is a great two player game. Um, it's uh, it's definitely worth checking out, especially if you like you know tableau building games. That's kind of sort of what it is as well. Um, another one that you were particularly excited for was Junk Art. Oh my god, it was so cute. Well, this, I love it. This this is the new one from a team of designers that we actually like quite a bit. Um, Jay Cormier and Senfu Lim, uh, who have also done Belfort and Akrotiri. Um, this is their newest game. I I love their I love their designs because they don't have they don't have a type. Like they like a lot of their games are very different from one another. And Junk Art is definitely a huge divergence from anything else they've done previously well and this is one i didn't really know about we happened to be at our friendly local game store and um we were looking around and i was like oh what's this because i noticed it was next to flick em up mm-hmm. and it was done it was published by the same company yeah, pub- published by pretzel games and i saw that up. and i loved it because it had like the little wooden box that it comes in mm-hmm. and i'm looking i was like oh my god i was like honey what is this and you're like oh no i heard good things about it and i'm like hmm mm-hmm. And I was like, well, let's see. And then uh, once we had our little auction and got all our monies from our other games, I was like, can we please get it? He's like, sure. And then we found a really good deal on it as yeah. well. Well, and this is a nice, it's a, it's a cool little stacking game um, because you are, you are, you <laughs> if are. If you're a klutz, it's not for you. <laughs> well, yeah, you're, you're a modern artist trying to go on a tour and have the most impressive of these junk art sculptures that you just build from these random figures. It's so funny. Like you, seriously, it is completely random. You never know what cards you're going to get. And mm-hmm. then it's like, 
oh, hey, you have all flat pieces. Here's a ball that you have to somehow balance within all right. of this. Well, and that's and that's where it's neat. So each, basically, when you play Junkard, you're going to go to three different cities, and each city has a different set of rules as far as mm-hmm. what you're trying to do and how the pieces interact. But usually what's happening is you're getting a card that has a picture of a piece on it, and then you have to find that piece and place it somewhere on your statue. And, and the only rule is that it can't be touching the table, and you can stack it however other way you can make it fit. Also, once when stacking your pieces, if you correct me if I'm wrong here, if you have the same colors touching well, that, or that, the same type of piece. That was for that specific city. Like I'm saying each each city has its own set of rules that you have to oh, follow. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. in that one city we were in, if you had the piece of the same color touching it or the same type of piece, mm-hmm. even if it was a different color, you got like extra where followers yeah. or whatever it was. Is fans, that what it was? Yeah, fans. Fa- fans. Points, basically. Yes. Um, and like I said, this one is one where, like, all, you know, oftentimes the goal is to have the tallest structure, um, but sometimes it's to have the most stable structure because you lose if, you know, a bunch of your pieces fall off of yours. Right. You get, like, when your pieces fall off, you kind of have to, they just kind of sit off to the side and you eat those at negative points at the end of the round. But again, for that specific city. And then... Also, if you, you know, because I said, well, what happens if you bump the table accidentally or if, like, you bump the table and my stuff falls off? He said, well, then it has to come to me. I was like, oh, mm-hmm. okay. Yeah, but but like I said, each city is very unique in that respect. So you're going to you're gonna have a different goal in every round of the game. How many and cities are in the game? I think it's like 15 or something like that. Plus, you can Not make bad. your own as well if you want to. Yeah, let's make a Baltimore. Which is neat. So it's, and it's like, and like I said, because of that, um, there's a lot of replayability in the box. And this is also a very accessible game as well. Now, the one critique that I do have of the game, um, for two players specifically, is that I don't think a lot of the scoring systems in the different cities are made for two players Mm-mm. because when you when you usually like if you're scoring like the highest you know structure you get points for first second and third and obviously there's not a huge difference between those two so it's not really set up that way plus also in the first round the way the scoring was set up I was able to get a lot of points in that first round because M unfortunately knocked a bunch of her pieces which like she said in that specific city meant that they were worth negative points uh, and essentially what I was able to do is I, by the end of the second round, I was able to build up a lead that was completely insurmountable. That Like, there was no way she would have been able to come back because of what the objective and how many points the third round was worth. So that's a little bit of an issue. I think that the scoring would work better with more people. But the game was still a lot of fun. Like, I I really enjoyed, you know, what I was doing in the game. I look really forward cool. to playing this with friends because this one's easy enough to teach to anybody. Mm-hmm. And I think they'll have a lot of fun with it. I can hear a lot of cursing in our future of people saying... You know, <laughs> trying to put things on there and they all fall down. <laughs> yeah, it's it's one like I said, it's one of those that like I would play it again with two players, but I would definitely prefer to play it with more people because I think it'll be a more fun experience. So mm-hmm. that you know, junk art's a great game if you only play with two. Primarily, oh my god, I don't the production is it. great well, on this course, game. Yeah, also, if you if you if, you've, if you have flick them up, expect the same level of of production quality in junk art because that's basically where it is. So, but yeah, like it, for me personally, if I was recommending it, I would say if you are only going to do two, it's not worth it. But if you are going to play, you know, primarily at three or four and might occasionally get a two player game in, then sure. It's definitely, definitely a worthwhile ad. Mm-hmm. I think at least. Um, next on the list is Walnut Grove. This was one we scored a couple weeks back on Amazon cause they had a 
good deal on it. Yeah, it's been on sale. I I had never heard of this. Um, I can't remember where I heard of it though, because a, a couple months ago it made its way under my radar. This game's actually been out for a couple years. Um, and it is a game where you are trying to build up this like what like air, I guess a farm that you control or like I, an area of land. Like that. And um, and it's just it's a really interesting little game, and I wasn't sure what to make this of it. Game. For what we like, when we first looked at this, and he's like, "Oh, it's a tiling game. It's this. It's that." I'm like, "Okay, great. Sounds good." This game's got some teeth. It does. So the the reason M says is because eat the game takes place over eight rounds. Each round has four seasons, and the four seasons you're doing something different in each one. So like in the spring, you are drawing tiles out of a bag to expand your land area. Now, ideally, you're trying to make same types of lands match up with one another. You don't have to, though. Really, you're trying to fence in land areas because that's what will get you points Mm -hmm. at the end of the game. Um, You also harvest materials in the spring as well. You're going to actually put out um, players. You're actually going to put your workers out on the board, or maybe that's during summer. To get the resources. Yeah, to get resources that match up with the different types of areas. Um, In the fall... It's real tight in this game, too. mm -hmm. Well, it's because in the fall, um, you go into town to basically have... You know, do stuff to do to to help build up your. But basically, area. at the beginning of the game, there's two halves of the board. So you kind of have to pick what you're going, where you're going to go, because if you have to cross over to the other side of the board, it costs you. It costs money, yeah. And money is like, can can be points. M- money is pretty much non-existent in this game. I feel. Well, it's it's not that it's non-existent. <laughs> it's, it's hard to get and. Money can also be worth right. Money can also be worth victory points, so you have to really make sure it's worth it. Also, in the fall, you only get to do one action each round, so it's either you're going to get a couple more resources, or you're going to build a house, or a storage shed, or Mm -hmm. you're going to, you know, cash in a set of resources for for money, essentially. Um, and the money's randomly drawn as well, so you don't know. You might get a two to, a two point coin, or you might get a one point coin, or you might just get a copper, which you can use to pay for stuff, but it's not worth any victory points at the end of the game. And then the tough part is in the winter, you have to feed one a, a group of your of your residents because each you know each there's you have different colored residents essentially, and the yellow residents only eat corn, and the blue residents only eat fish. But each round there's a little marker that comes out that makes certain colors of meeples cost more to feed. Right, and you also have to heat your 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 you have to basically pay for 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 fire during the winter, for heat during the winter, <laughs> and which can be more complicated because as you acquire more workers, if you don't build them houses to stay in, they have a covered campsite which needs to be heated with a fire in addition to heating your houses. So you have to make sure you have a lot of wood on hand for that as well. And that, but so the rules are very simple, but like I've said, because everything strategy, is so restrictive, it's just, yeah, it's very <sighs> difficult to get it going, but I really like that about it. Yes. Like I said, it had, it had more going for it than I thought it would. Honestly, yeah. it really, really did. I mean, it's it's kind of like, and again, we've never played Agricola, but it seems like it has that feel, that tightness of Agricola, but with like a, a third of the complexity and playtime. We time. played Agricola Junior. Right, we played all creatures big and small, but it Didn't seems like, like it, it has the tight, you know, the tightness of those resources and trying to make it work for you. And of course, you know, if you can't heat your your people, you have to take these like beggar tokens, and the way that they work these out is kind of ingenious too, because as long as it's on the begging side you can pay three 
resources in order to get rid of it. But if you ever acquire another token while you have one, you have to permanently flip that other one over and you can never get rid of it at that point. So basically you'll, you have, you'll have one tile potentially that you can always get rid of, but if you can't get rid of it in time, then you're just going to eat negative points at the end of the game. Sorry, I'm having a moment over here. Mm-hmm. Remember when we went to the the friendly game store when we lived at our apartment, and I was perusing the game section, and I was like, they have a game called Farmer? And you're like, Farmer? I was like, yeah, Agricola. And you're like, how do you know that? I was like, don't you yeah, know I'm a, I'm a nerd and I took weirdo, Latin in weirdo. school? <laughs> dead, <laughs> like, dead language sorry. is 101. But, uh, but yeah, give me that to Walnut Groove. It's... It was really. This is a really like I I called it a uh, kind of like a hidden gem or you know like a diamond in the rough. But this game was really fun and I liked it quite a bit. Um, kind of, it, it, like I said, it flies completely under the radar because like, I had never heard of it. It's beforehand. like Fleet. It's one of those ones where Fleet was even more well known than this because at least Fleet. No, had, but I'm saying know. like one of our like what what we consider our under the radar games because mm-hmm. like like you said this one I didn't hear diddly or squat about this right. at least i'd heard of fleet before we got it but fleet's just such a great game and like this one this one's right up there with it i yeah i would said uh, it had a nice play time it didn't overstay its welcome well and, and like i said it, and it was just fun to do because of the of the of the restrictiveness of the game like i said we got to the point where we're getting towards the end and brad's like do I really want to spend the money to hop over the line, or do I not? He's like, mm-hmm. or can I just do this? It was well, great. I needed, a, I needed a specific space <laughs> on the board that I needed to get to. So yep. yeah, it's yeah. If, if you like games that really you know force you to make the best use of limited limited means, uh, definitely check out Walnut Grove. It's mm-hmm. it's it's a game that I think deserves to have more more eyes on it for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, last but not least for us this week uh, is a game that I had also been excited to check out. This is Rolling Freight. Until we played it. Well, yeah, it's it, well, it's, it's not that... So, it's so Rolling not Freight that is that a, it's a bad game. Let me preface this. It's not right, yeah, that rolling, it's a bad game. Rolling Freight is a train game. It's just not good But the catch is, the catch is with Rolling Freight is that at the beginning of each round, you're going to roll this collection of dice that you have, and you actually use the dice to spend um, on the different actions that you can do, which is acquiring these contracts to build sections of track, and then once you've connected cities, you can ship goods from one city to the other, which is, the you know, again, the primary way of scoring victory points. Also, building track scores you victory points as well. Um, you also can get these ability cards, which make your, you know, railroad company a little bit more efficient as you go along. And, and again, it's if you've played a train game before, this is a very easy game to grasp, with the exception of the you know the little twist is that it adds the dice, and the only issue for it for me was at the end of the day, if given a choice between playing this and playing Railways of the World, which is a very similar feel, I'm going to pick Railways of the World every single time mm-hmm. because for whatever reason, this game uh, Rolling Freight just didn't. It didn't feel as smooth as Railways, and, and it played in a shorter amount of time too, which is the funny part. Like Railways, of the world's a much longer game. I think because of all the moving parts, like having to get the little contract cards, having to get the little upgrade cards. Mm. I think there was too many variables and fiddly bits. I think the fiddly bits part is is definitely. Right. And my, I'm a, okay. I'm sorry. 
the cards in this game are the tiniest cards known to man. <laughs> they really are. Like, if you, like, they if were you think like Hobbit-sized cards are small, these are like half the size of those, basically. Yes, these are like, you know, very. I, I don't even know what to call them. Very tiny These cards. are like dollhouse-sized cards, okay? Yeah, I wasn't, I didn't like the cards very much either. Because it's really difficult when you're trying to draw them off of a deck. It, it, it just doesn't, you, you know, mm-hmm. I'm sorry, with adult-sized hands, it doesn't work. Um, This one... <laughs> It, but yes, but like so, like in this one, like when you build a section of track, like you get the contract to get the track first, and then you have to build the track one one subsection piece at, a time at a time until it's fully built. And you see, can, I didn't you know. like that. I like where like something um, like Ticket to Ride, mm-hmm. where it's like okay. I'm going to build this up until I have enough so I can build the whole section and be done with it. Mm-hmm. I would rather something like that than. One piece at well, a time. And, and like, roll, Rolling Freight also that's just not, no. also does this really silly thing where in the two-player game, so ba- the game takes place over three phases. And in you a can't two-player get game, to like half of the stations. Yeah, in, in a two-player game, you completely skip the last phase of the game, which means that you're going to have a lot of cities, potentially... That are gonna kind of just be landlocked, or, or you know, completely landlocked, where they can't get any tracks out to them, just because you're never gonna build on these sea tracks. And that was the problem I had because I'm looking at like the contract cards that are popping out. I'm like, mm-hmm. why would I even want to take that contract? Because a, even if I build the tracks, not like I can ship anything to that city because you said it's a sea and I can't right. ship to a which, sea city. Which then and, lends to be a problem because if you're not taking contracts, like like the contract deck get being exhausted is what. Moves you towards the end of the game. So if people, if you got, if your players aren't taking contracts, right. then the game's not progressing. And I've seen some people online. They're like, "Oh, I just play all three phases." When you play a two-player game, I I wouldn't because it took long enough to get through the first two. Oh my and it just, lord! And yeah, it just, it just wasn't. It wasn't fun. And again, like we said, the game is. It is good. Well, and it's very rare that the two of us will play a game because usually. If it's something that we don't like, we either mm. agree or we completely disagree. Like, we have right. one of us who doesn't like it and one of us who likes it. This is one of the few instances where, like, we finished up the game and we both just kind of gave each other the look across the table like, yeah, I don't think we're going to be playing this one anymore. Well, and and I told you, like, this this is a game that strikes me as... So this was a Kickstarter game when it first came out. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is a game that I think could have benefited from... A more traditional publishing route because I think if a developer had gotten their hands on it, I don't think it would have been quite as it would have been a lot more streamlined. I think it would, the game would have been better for it because I, I don't think like when you have a game like this, especially when you are incorporating the dice into the mix and that's your main mechanic to doing actions, you don't want this to be like a like an Age of Steam or you know like a Railways of the World type game. You want to stand out and be a little bit different. And I think that this game tried too much to be like those other games mm-hmm. without the without being as as well designed as those other games were. And I don't I'm sounding kind of jerkish when I say that, but it just like I said, I just think the game just didn't it doesn't hold up to the level of those other games. And if you're gonna spend an hour and a half, two hours playing a train game, I'd rather play a Martin Wiles train game because I think it just works <laughs> much better. So yeah, rolling rolling freight's a hard pass. Um it's already on the trade shelf for us. Uh not a big fan. Nope. Anyway, slice it on that one. So uh so that's it. Some good games that we checked out this week. Uh, we're gonna take a quick break. When we come back we're gonna talk about area control and area majority and how that how we like that with two players. So stay tuned. 
All right, so we are back. Yeah, playing, um, like I mentioned earlier, cr- playing Cry Havoc uh, really got me thinking about area control, and this is a discussion that I had on the list to have for a while, and Cry Havoc kind of inspired me to, to well, put it on I the docket. Well, I think you just felt like we hadn't played enough. Right, and then once I dug down, we, we found a little bit more. So we have played a lot. Yeah, we're, we're, of course, talking about area control uh, or area majority, which are kind of two sides of the same coin in a lot of ways. Um, so we'll talk about this and, and how it relates to players because, uh, like I mentioned at the top, sort of a mixed bag of sorts because typically in games like this, you want there to be a decent amount of competition over the different spaces. Mm-hmm. And two players obviously lends itself in most games to sort of a zero-sum mechanic where any potential gain by you is a is directly a loss for your opponent as well. So so it's, they don't always work out well, but there are a lot of good games, actually, that we have found that work pretty well. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll dive into kind of what other aspects are needed in these type of games to make them work well for two players and give you some good examples of that as we go along. But first of all, um, what is area control and area majority? Hmm? You're asking me? Yeah. Well, you, oh, you can. Geez. Well, I, well, well, you can re- just read read the BGG definition if you go under area control area majority. Okay. Uh, let me look it up real quick. <laughs> no, that's that's I, it's copy and paste. <laughs> oh, there you go. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, have, I have it easy for you. Sorry, I had the wrong document open. Oh, Forgive me. I did not pull up oh, the other document. Goodness. Oh, geez. The whatever. Okay, the area control mechanic typically awards control of an area to the player that has the majority of units or influence in that area. As such, it can be viewed as a subcategory of auction slash bidding in that players can up their bids for specific areas through the placement of units or meeples. Yes, so that's that's the that's the very textbook definition. Um, now, that is as, the BGG Webster's Dictionary yes. version. Now. Obviously, lots of games have aspects of area area control in them. So, like, you know, you could look at Hyperborea as a game that has aspects of area control. Or any, you know, any game where you're trying to maintain specific positions on a map or or a building or tiles or something like that. Well, Um, first thing popped in my head was Twilight Struggle. Right. Well, t- well, but see, Twilight Struggle. So, what we're t- what I'm trying to talk about here is games where the area control is sort of the central objective of the game, like it's the most important thing. Um, and yeah, Twilight Struggle is definitely one of them. Um, well, yeah, because I kicked your butt by you know controlling the whole. Yeah, all of Europe. Yeah. Yeah. Well, but but also, so well, let's 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 get down into it and, and talk about kind of what. Um, Aspects are kind of necessary to make area control games good. So one of the ones that well, you and I specifically for two players. Right, well, that's well, of course that's what we're first, talking about. So the first one, because he, he asked me this question earlier, the first thing I said is you need to have a smaller board. Or oh, well, a map that works within right. the player count, basically. Because we have had we have played games where. The maps are just too big, and it's too mm-hmm. easy to dance around one another. We are the type of people that we like it to be more crunchy. We like to be in your face, punching each other. Mm-hmm. Hey, I want this. No, I want this. You know, we we like to be in there with one another. Right, and and, and almost every area control game that does you know support two players that where area control is the main crux of the game does do this 
to a degree. So, like, we're looking at, you know, games like Blood Rage, where, you know, certain sections of the board are taken off when there's two players, and it gets tighter as the game goes mm-hmm. along. Um, Cry Havoc does this as well. It has a completely other map that you use specifically for two players that has a lot fewer regions than the three- to four-player map does. Um, Kemet does this. Kemet has... You know, has a has a separate map for each player count, basically. Uh, mm-hmm. Same with Small World. Small World is actually probably the best example because that literally does come with a unique map for every single player count that you have Good to get out. Lord. You know, based based on what the player count is. So I think that I think that's definitely an absolute necessity if you're going to make well, it work. Well, even for two. like you talked about Belfort earlier, that has that extra, that has that like. I, I call it the ghost player, mm-hmm. where you actually mark off different sections of the board that are unable to be touched for that round. Mm-hmm. Well, well, and we'll we'll talk about the ghost player as well. But contrast that with with um, so like trains. I know everybody calls it like the AI or whatever. Yeah. I like calling it the ghost player. Well, so but like trains. So trains. Trains to be clear is not it's an Patrick Swayze. It's not a area control game. Um, but it does have area control elements to it with the the way the map is working mm-hmm. and. Like the 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 full size maps and trains just don't work well for two players. They work much better when you use the two player specific maps. Right. So, well, you brought up neutral players. Um, I also think that is a great resource as well. And I think specifically when, but it depends on how it's used. Right. Well, I I think it works best when you allow the players to have some level of control over that. That's where Belfort's a good example. Right, because Belfort you each have a have a non-player faction um that you're controlling that you're specifically using for blocking purposes or to try to wrestle your opponent's majority away in certain areas. And Belfort, it's even more genius because you can switch faction like you can switch what faction you control. So like this, you know, you've been building up, building up mm-hmm. and all of a sudden someone switches the turn order and now they're controlling that faction and potentially using it to screw you out of stuff as well. Um, now, Mexico is a game that does this as well, but this is an example where it's done Random. passively. No, where it's done passively, where you just place the the buildings on the board at the beginning of the game of a non-player ca- is it, uh, party. I was going to say, is it? are there specific spots? No, no, it, that, that, that is completely like random. random. It's kind of just like throw it out on the board and wherever it lands okay. is where it lands. I mean, there's... there's usually, usually, when especially with games like that, when we have uh, our board game nights after our, our son goes to bed, mm-hmm. I usually come up and get a shower, and by the time I get downstairs and I'm ready to go, he's got it all set up, so mm-hmm. I don't really see too much of the setup. Too much of the setup, yeah. <laughs> No, but I, but I think that works really well whenever that happens, just because um, again you have that sort of that third player feel, that mm-hmm. opposition force that's coming in that takes away the zero sum nature of the game a little bit. Well, like just like I know this is an area control, but talking about like the third players, we've talked on the show many times about like Seven Wonders and mm-hmm. playing the original Seven Wonders and having that third player. Where you're kind of controlling it, and it just does not work well. Well, I think it works better in a game like this, right? Where, right? Right? Where, yeah, absolutely. Where the, the positioning is much. That's more. why I said. Well, that's why I said though you have to have that work to the best of its ability, you mm-hmm. know, f- to work efficiently. Right. So the next thing um, that I had on the list that you also agreed with as well um, is having objective-driven. Gameplay like it's not enough mm-hmm. just to be like, okay, you know, you hold this area down and you get some points. I think having specific areas to chase after um, are helpful in these kind of games. Well, I as well. called it um, incentives. Yeah. Well, and so like so Twilight Struggle. This is where Twilight Struggle and and its little brother Thirteen Days 
comes into play is that you have the scoring cards and especially if you have the scoring card in your hand, you know the region that's going to be scored. So you try to build up your forces on the slide down there. So you don't, but not so much that your opponent realize what's going on. But of course, if you, you know, know where the cards are in the different decks, you can kind of deduce um, mm-hmm. what scoring cards might be in hand, but having specific reasons to go after certain areas uh, is important. This is also where um, Tash Kalar comes into play as an area control game because you have these different objectives that you're trying to fulfill that require you to control specific areas on the board. Yeah, like well. you have to have the diagonal from one end of the board to the other and you have to control the red spots or mm-hmm. the green spots or, yeah. Now, I, I like th- that. We haven't played that one in a while. Yeah, and Didn't I, I, we get a new faction for that? We Yeah, we did get a new faction for that. So, And, um, and I, I think one that does it really interestingly is Scythe, um, which area control... You can argue it's only one part of Scythe, but I think it's the biggest part of Scythe because your objectives are usually linked through you being able to produce certain certain you know abilities. So like, and to have the encounters and everything mm, else, right? But it's uh, but like you know if you want to get that put out your star for your mechs, you got to make sure you're controlling mountain terrains and producing you know ore on them and stuff like that. And the factory in the middle of the board is mm-hmm. that central space that's very lucrative at the yeah, end of the game. Yeah, and it's worth a lot of points at the end of the game. Right, so you're trying to jockey for position there as well. So I think that I think that Scythe is a great example of objective-driven gameplay as well. And then uh, your, the last thing that you said is not only incentives for controlling certain spaces on the board, but incentives for taking them away for punching from each your other opponents. in the face. Yeah, so you you encourage that conflict. Right. And my example for this was Blood Rage where like you go into another player's area to have a battle. Mm-hmm. So you're not only going to be kicking them out, but there there's also like the um what is it? The little the, the pillaging tiles. That's that right, the get. pillage tiles. And, and Ragnarok too. Like you right. want to be there so when the gonna, round ends. You're so going to kick them out. You're going to get the token in the middle to up your stats. And then if that's the one that's getting Ragnarok, if you load up all the spots, then you're the one getting all the points for it at the end mm-hmm. of it. Absolutely. Um, another game that does this uh, side is also you know does well with this as well because you have the. Um, uh, you know, if your opponent has resources on a space, you can steal oh, yeah, them from yeah, him. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I said that one, too. You can you can kick them out of there and steal all their resources. Um, another great one that does this as well um, is uh, Lords of Vegas uh, is a game as well where you can kind of move in passively on your opponent's casino and then completely re you know reorganize the casino, mm-hmm. hopefully in your favor, so that you're the one that's getting the points and the income for it. As the game goes along, so I, th- I think I think some combination um, or using some of those four things are really what you need to help it with. You know, the two player aspect of it, you have right. to have that. Uh, you know, you have to have those things to really make it tight and make it work well, so that it, so it does work well for two players. So you can't just kind of run and hide from one another. Well, like I said, I don't like the ones where it's just too where there's just too much mm-hmm. space because well, the, I think the map is definitely the most the, I think thing. that's the crux of it you have mm-hmm. to have the right size map for this because if you have one if it's even just a smidge too big it's too easy to just dance around each other and what the hell fun is that yeah it's not not too you know much what fun I mean? at all it becomes uh, an exercise of monotony for a little while alright so we've like I said we've played quite a few games we've given some examples of, of this mechanic um, with games that we've played that support two players so let's talk about um the games that we've played that don't work as well with two that are area control that you should probably avoid. Um, the first one, and this is an unpopular 
you know, thing to kind of bash this game. But just with think, us. Yeah, I don't think Kemet's a very good two-player game. Yeah, Kemet just did not work as well with two for us. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and it's and it's because it's just, even though they do have a smaller section of board for two players, I still think... It's too big. It is too big, yeah. And it's too... And and holding down those, those scoring locations can be, you know, too easy to do over the mm-hmm. course of the round. So it just yeah, Kevin is one that was not popular. Now one that's now one that's a popular opinion, not good with two, is Lords of Vegas. But Even we though love we enjoy it. it with two. We, we love yeah, it. Yeah, we like Lords of Vegas a lot. Um most people will tell you that you need at least three to really play that game. I would not entirely agree, but then again, we've never played it with more than just us either. Right, but also, I think we kind it, it, it is easy to run and hide in Lords of Vegas if it you want is, to. It is, but I think, based on how we like to play games, right, we, we make it how we want. We make the game play how we want it to. Correct, yes. So, if you really want it to work, you can make it work. Mm-hmm. Right, but but it, but, it, but it's it's contingent on you, the player, to do that. Oh, right, exactly, and, and, and to be kind of have a mutual mutual pact going in that that's how the game. Well, is yeah, be we all we always had that's like uh, wasn't that in our marriage vows? A mutual punch you in the face during board game night pact. <laughs> huh? Yeah. But uh, listen, to another one. Um, Tiny Epic Kingdoms. Even though this game does have a scaling map, um, with with multiple players, again, I just don't. It's too easy to kind of just. Keep to yourself in that game if you want to, and just to defend. And that was my least favorite out of the three, anyway. Or not with four now. Of the four now, yeah, for sure. Um, well, we haven't played Western yet. Yeah, and and Small World. Um, even though they have the two player map, I like playing Small World on the tablet. I do too, and I like it with three or more. I didn't like it specifically with. I didn't like it with just us. Um, mm-hmm. I think we played it. Didn't we play it with four once? Mm-hmm. I think that was that was good. I liked it with four. With two, even, it's even just... three is really good too. Just just so that you have more of that board being clogged up because mm-hmm. the the amount of spaces that get added to the higher player counts is not an exponential thing. It's only a couple more here and there. So I think having the congestion is great for small world. So those are some games that we don't we don't think work well for two. Now we're each going to give you our three. Games that we think are the best area control games. Oh, you didn't tell me I had two to players. Pick my I'm three, gonna make you do it on my the fly. Three favorite. Oh, I mean, you, you, got, you got a list here. Unless you want me to I go know. first. No, 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 no. I know I have a list. Um, well, my number one's gonna be Blood Rage. Like okay. because I just have so much fun playing that game. Like absolutely, one hundred percent. You ask me if I want to play it, I'm never gonna say no. And and that then by the way, that was the game for us. That once we got Blood Rage. That was the end of Kevin. Like Kevin, yeah, was, yeah, Kevin yeah. was that on, kind of, was on that, the trade pile that dethroned Kevin as soon as we got Blood yeah. Rage. So, well, hey, I mean, you can't just keep it around for sentimental reasons, right? right? Um, Belfort, mm-hmm. of course, because I mean, how many times have we played that? It's just a really great game. I love it. Uh, third, God, that one's tougher. Hmm. I might have to go 13 days. Okay. That's fair. I think yeah. it's more of a sentimental pick for you. Anyway. Yeah. So for me, um, Belfort is on my list as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm really I'm really taken with that game. I know. And, you love it. Well, and, and I, I just think that it's it's just the area control aspects specifically are what make that it's game It's really smartly awesome. done. Right. And it, it really it, is. Yeah, with, the, with the two neutral players and being able mm-hmm. to 
throw them in on your opponent and stuff like that. Very cool. I think it's a terrific game. Um, I think Gengopolis is also a game mm-hmm. that deserves to be in this category as well. Um, because there is a lot of jockeying back and forth for not only the specific place on the board, but also the different regions as you're spreading out. Mm -hmm. And I think that works really well with two players, especially as well. Um, For me, the third one is going to be Twilight Struggle. So you pick 13 Days, I pick Twilight Struggle. Big surprise. Potato, potato. Right, which is fine. Um, But that being said, I have a feeling that if we play Cry Havoc more and Emily takes a shine to it, I have a feeling that I could see that creeping up in that top three because I think the way that it does handle the area control aspect, um, like you know, making it incentivizing you to go after the to have those high point regions be um like high, you know, high combat areas that are heavily contested over. I is really tried. Well done. You did. I tried and then I got control of it and then you kicked me out because you're a jerk. Yep, I sure did. Stole my like nine points I had built up in that thing. Yep. So I, I think I think that, that does it really does the area control aspect really well. And uh, I look forward to exploring that one more. So that, that'll probably be on there if you ask me six months from now, hopefully. Um, but for right now, my three are Twilight Struggle, uh, Belfort, and Gengopolis. Now, two more um, that I've heard work really well with two players that we have not gotten a chance to try yet. Um, but they are in our collection, right? They are in our collection, actually. So okay. hopefully we'll get to try them at some point here soon. Um, Cuba Libre, which uh, is the de facto like best game in the coin series. <laughs> that's the uh, that's the one on our list that says R ish, right? <laughs> yeah, that's the one where I've read the rules, but I'm still I can't I don't think I can explain so, it. So you yeah. guys are in the dark. We keep a running list of all. I mean, I'm, we've talked about this before. We keep a running list of all the games that we have that we haven't played yet. So I tell him which ones I want to play by putting a dash next to it, so he knows to read the rules, and then he usually puts an R, so I know that he's read them. And this one says. R ish. Because mm-hmm, I, I read like, them, but I, said, I can't. I said, dear, what does R ish mean? Yeah, I'm having trouble. I'm having trouble gleaming them. Um, and the other one is War of the Ring, uh, which is a specifically two player designed war game, of course, in the Middle Earth universe as well. Heard very good things about that and, and look forward to checking that one out as well. So, uh, yeah, definitely drop us a line on you know Facebook or Twitter or in the guild and let us know what are your some of your favorite two player area control experiences mm-hmm. we're definitely you know we're always on the hunt for new stuff as well mm-hmm. um, and if you just and we love you, interacting with you guys yeah if, or if you agree or vehemently disagree with any of our any of our picks yeah feel free if you to say let us you know. guys are freaking nuts go ahead tell yeah, me tell me why i'm nuts well. so uh see so yeah, that's it for for this episode so again um remember you can check us out at tabletop for two at all the social media sites Subscribe to the show, and also a reminder that we are one of the many shows on the Nerd Pocl- or sorry, the TNP Studios Network. Uh, make sure to check out all the other awesome shows there, which you can find at thenerdpocalypse.com. And we have a premium channel that you can check out as well uh, for some more uh, shows there as well. So give that a look-see if you could. Um, yeah, that's it. So thank you all very much for listening. Uh, we'll talk to you guys again in a couple weeks. See you later. Bye.